0: We have a lot to cover tonight. I'm going to get right to it. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he spoke that in connection with male-female relationships, marital relationships, family relationships. But I think that same thing is true of the spiritual relationship. It was never intended that we would be Isolated from each other. Never intended. God always intended us to dwell together in what we've come to know in our series here as the body. The body. We're all members of one another. And so, this great statement is made in Ecclesiastes. I've heard it read for weddings, and I've actually used it for weddings, but it was never really intended to be about marital relationships, but rather more about the connection of friends for one another and spiritual companions for one another. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Why does the church exist? Why, Why does this organism, not this building, This building is absolutely irrelevant when it comes to talking about the existence of the church. It's not about these bricks and blocks, it's about these bricks and stones that make up the spiritual house of God. Why does a church exist? Here it is. Solomon said it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 beginning in verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You know, that, that's the existence of the church. That's why it exists. I'm, I'm going to suggest to you without making the argument, I think I could, and I'm happy to do that if you challenge me on it, but I can worship God alone. I mean I I can worship him alone. I can worship him in such a way that I think he's satisfied with my worship and I'm satisfied with my worship. Now by that I do not mean I think I don't have to be a part of a church. That's not my point, but I'm saying in terms of the quality of my worship I can worship without anybody else. I can do that. I can pray alone. I can be righteous alone. I can study alone. I can do those things, but I can't encourage myself alone. And when I have needs, I can't meet those needs myself. I can't do that. There are a lot of things I can do for myself without anybody else being involved. But I'll tell you, it's like tickling yourself you got to have somebody else do it. There's not a single one of us could goose ourselves and go, <laughs> that's funny, I tickle. stop, stop. We don't, we don't do that. But if somebody else does it, we, they can tickle us. The, and, and I can't encourage myself. Come on, Ralph, you can do this. You, you're better than what you're doing right now. You get up and you go about that business. I need somebody to encourage me. And when I'm down, I need somebody to pick me up. That's why the church exists. So that the cord of three strands is not easily broken. So look at a passage with me real quick. It's it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And I'm going to just tell you, I think for some, and maybe not here, but for some churches, we stop too soon on what this passage is saying. Verse 24, let's begin in verse 23. That's the beginning of the thought. Hebrews 10, verse 23. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now listen, listen to this carefully. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to loving good deeds not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near listen, If we argue, Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, we need to be assembling when the saints assemble. If we stop there, we have not said what the Hebrew writer says. We're not doing it. The Hebrew writer didn't just say, so assemble. But in the assembling, there's something we are called upon to do. Verse twenty. Three says, or 24 says, we're to stimulate one another. That word stimulate in some versions is prod. Prod. It's we, we all ought to come with spiritual cattle prods. And when somebody's not up to their potential, somebody's not acting right, somebody's not showing the kind of love and respect and reverence for God they ought to show, we prod them with the cattle prod. Get with it. Stimulate one another. Imagine, imagine what this assembly would look like if before we came in here tonight, every person here, every person that's here said, i got to find somebody to encourage tonight. Somebody needs encouraging. I want to find him, and I want to encourage him. Not, we'll do that as we all sing together. Not that. Not that. This is an individual instruction. I'm called upon to stimulate and encourage other people. So let let me just say this. I'll say it bluntly, and I hope I don't hurt your feelings. But if if you're used to coming in, sitting down, facing forward, listening to what's said, getting up at the end, walking out the doors, and you've done nothing in between, you have not fulfilled Hebrews ten twenty five. You have not. You say I was here. I was. That's not what it says. It says in being here, do what: encourage one another, stimulate one another. Get other people fired up about serving the Lord God. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Admonish the unruly. These are the ways we do that when we're here. And if every person was thinking in those terms how we can help somebody else we're looking all the way across the auditorium we're saying that's the person that's the one i got my bead on them as soon as services are over i'm making it over and encouraging them it might be because well they just look really discouraged tonight or they look really down tonight i mean not all of us look real happy to be here sometimes Some of us look like we were weaned on pickles. And others of us need my version of that song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. I like to add the verse, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Tell your face, will you? Show your joy in the Lord. That's what this verse says. That's why the church exists. So we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It's not just as simple as being a cheerleading session, but that is part of it. But some of it's also an admonitory exercise. All of these things work together. So, we're talking about koinonia, how we fellowship, share, participate, and have partnership together. And we have to have some things ourselves before we can do that well. As a doctor needs a kit, as a golfer needs a bag of clubs, as a seamstress needs a machine, needles, and thread, there are things we need and need to develop So that we can administer this mercy of God, this encouragement of God, this admonition of God on others. So, let's talk first of all about what I must have to share spiritual things with other people. There are some things I have to have before I can do that. And the first of those is I have to have communion with God. I cannot share with others what I don't have myself. So if I don't have a deep relationship with God, if I don't have quality relationship with him, I can't really give that to anybody else. I simply can't do that. That's got to be mine in possession. So I need to be asking the question, where am I going to fill my water bottle? Where am I getting refreshment from? Because if it's not God, I can't share living waters with other people. That's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 7, verse 38. That from his inward being will flow forth rivers of living water. But it can't come from me if it hasn't come in me. Does that make sense? It's got to start with me and my God. I can't feed other people if I have not the wherewithal myself to be fed by my God. so And if I don't listen to God when He speaks in His Word, how will my ear hear His voice when He speaks through His children? If I don't recognize the voice of God in Him and in His Word, I'm not going to recognize it when other people speak it to me. So that's, that's all part of the encouragement that we not only give, but we also receive need to understand we're not just here to help somebody else. We're also here to be helped by others in this relationship that we have with others. And then I need a mutual commitment and responsibility with other Christians. I need to have some kind of pact with my brothers and sisters that sounds something like these things. First, I must be faithful to be with others. I need to work at being in the lives of my brothers and sisters. I need to know who other people are in the body of Christ so I can minister to them, so I can make sure they're taken care of. Uh, Not all of us are knowledgeable of everybody else, but we need to be, if we're a family and we're going to minister to others, we need to be able to do that. Secondly, I need to be respectful of confidentiality. When somebody tells me something and it's in confidence, I need to keep confidence. I don't need to share it. You know, sometimes we're not really good about that. Sometimes preachers aren't real good about that. Somebody tells them something, then the preacher gets up and uses it as an example. I mean, does everything but call out the name and point at the person three times. And that's not right. It's not good that we would do that. When someone shares something with me, I need to respect the confidentiality and the secretness of that sharing if I can. So that they know they can trust me with the deeper things of their lives. And I need to feel responsible for other people's complicated lives. Not feel intruded upon. I'm gonna. T- I've done this. I'm not proud of it. And don't judge me because you've probably done it too. Somebody calls. You look at your phone. You recognize the name. Here it is. It's that sister, who's gonna call, and she's gonna go on and on and on about her situation in life, and I'm trying to watch reruns of Bullwinkle and Rocky, and it's pretty important. And I'm looking at my phone and going, oh, all right, I'll take it, punch it. Hi, how are you? And I'm rolling my eyes at my family the whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, even put the phone down, go get some water, come back. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. If you're bugged, by other people because they're relying on you and calling on you for help, you're ignoring the mutual commitment and responsibilities we have for each other. We should care about each other. But I do want to suggest we cannot be equally intimate with everyone. We can't. You can't do it. Most of us will have a core group of 15 to 20 people that we know about the lives of. And beyond that, it's very difficult. But I want to suggest to you, Jesus knew that. You know, he had 70 he sent out, and we don't even know their names. And of the 70, there were 12, and he knew their names and knew them well. But of the 12, there were three that were truly intimate with him. And those were degrees of intimacy. And I'm going to tell you something, your elders and your preachers and your deacons and your godly women cannot all be your best friend. They can't. They cannot. It will sap our resources beyond our ability to be effective in that. So we shouldn't get our feelings hurt if somebody says to us, I I really can't help you with this right now. I'm overloaded. We need to find somebody else who isn't and move in that direction. So there are some essentials of sharing spiritual life with others. I've given you the mutual commitment and responsibility and communion, but let me tell you what's essential. If you're going to share spiritual life with other people, first of all, it is about truth. This is the center of our lives. This is the alpha and the omega of our lives, truth. And you remember remember, I, asked, I, I told you about that situation at that Koinonia coffee house where the guy came up and slid the Bible over and said, tell me what God's been teaching you lately. That's a valid question. That's a valid challenge. What is God teaching you lately? And If you say nothing, then I'd say you're not in the truth. You're just not deeply enough in the truth of God. This is our bread of life. This is the light of the world. This truth. This is Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. We need to be in it. If we're in the school of Christ, We ought to be learning every day. Parents don't accept that answer from kids. When the kids come in the door, hey, what would you learn today? Nothing. If you learn nothing, I'm going to get some teachers fired. You had to have learned something today. What did you learn? And in the same way, I think as disciples in the school of Christ, we have a right to ask each other, and the right to get an answer to the question, what has the Lord taught you today? What have you learned from God today? And it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be profound. It may be something as simple as, I learned today not to smart off to a waiter at a restaurant. They can really mess with your food. It may be something simple that you learned, but these are the kinds of questions we ought to be able to ask one another and get answers for. Memorizing scriptures helps us to share truth with other people. And not just the sharing of truth in its sterile condition, but in practical application in lives. This is what we share with each other and openness. Openness to share sin, to share temptations, weaknesses, failures, fears that we have, discouragement. How else can we pray that we be healed if we're not sharing those things? And I will tell you, becoming open to other people and saying, I I have a problem with that, you would be amazed at how that will draw people to you who say, I have a problem also. How have you worked on it? How, is, how have you overcome that? Or how are you doing struggling with that? Being transparent and open in our lives makes us accessible to other people. I really think that's why most of us relate to Peter. And we give Peter a hard time. My, my wife gets really defensive of the apostle Peter when people start talking about Boy, I'll tell you what, he's constantly failing. He's a smart one with the first answer, and often it's wrong. And he's a guy too bold and gets out of the boat and he sinks and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll tell you what, we relate to Peter. I find it difficult to relate to Paul. He's almost too perfect. I know he keeps calling himself the chiefest of sinners, but it looks to me like he's got things pretty well together. And the more we talk about our foibles and shortcomings... Not that we want to glorify those, but I would say this to those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't come in this pulpit and act like, or leave the impression, you got it all together. Don't do that, brothers. Teachers of classes, don't get up there and act like, I've solved this, I got this, I'm together, I got it, I'm going to share it with you because now I've reached perfection. You will not, you have not done that, and you leave a wrong impression, and people can't relate to you. So let people know you're fearful. Let people know you're discouraged. Be open to other people. You know, when when I go to the doctor and he needs to examine me, I'm not sure I understand why, but here's what happens. I I go and I show up on time for my appointment. First mistake. And I get there and they, they put me in the waiting room outside, which is appropriately named. And then after a long wait, they'll take me back, because they now have prepared a room for me where I'm going to sit. They have cranked the air conditioning down to a pleasant 60 degrees. And they put me in a chrome chair. And they tell me, take off all your clothes, the doctor will be in shortly. I, I, I think they have little cameras, and they wait until you're one giant goose bump. And then they say, okay, now it's time. And the doctor comes in and he examines me. Why does he make me take off all my clothes? Why? Because he needs to see me as I am. Not clothed, but see me so that he can help me find the things that might be wrong and missing or inappropriate or intrusive in my life. So he he puts me there and he starts examining me and then he says, Wait, I forgot. And he goes back and out of the freezer, he pulls out a stethoscope, <laughs> brings it, he puts it on my chest and he says, breathe deep. He didn't have to tell me that. Not with that chrome stethoscope. <laughs> you know, I'm there. What is he doing? What is he doing? Is he invading my privacy? Is she invading my privacy? No. They're there to help me. And we've got to be open with one another. I'll tell you, I'm I'm a little tired of constantly hearing from brethren. How are you? Fine. We're not all fine. And I'll tell you, sometimes people will indicate to you they're not all fine, even by the way they say that. Or, how are things in your life? Good. If you walk away from that thinking that was an appropriate answer, you missed an opportunity to talk to somebody about maybe something very serious in their lives. We give hints all the time of things that are wrong. Now, I'm not saying, on the other hand, that if somebody says, how are you, you pull out a long sheet... Well, here's all the things that are wrong with me. Well, first of all, I got high blood pressure, and then the doctor tells me I'm, I'm pre diabetic, and then I got this problem, and I have a weight problem, and I got this wart on my toe that's really giving me a fit. And I, hey, where are you going? I got more. I don't know that we have to tell all that. But we need to be open with one another. We need to pull somebody aside and say, Hey, I got a situation I need your help with. I'm really struggling here. That's what the body of Christ. Does. And our experiences in dealing with those things in our lives help us deal with other people. Sometimes God lets you have the difficult circumstances because that enables you to help others. Prior to 2012, I don't think I was very effective in helping people who lost a dear loved one, a close loved one. I, I, I knew the words, and I could say things, and I may have comforted some people. But in 2012, I lost my dad. And in 2020, I lost my mom. And now, when somebody says, my mother just died, I know. I know. It's not easy. That's tough. I'm sorry you're having to deal with that. I, I went through that, and here's what happened. I, I was talking with somebody just today that I ran into, and uh, it's a widow, and she's a recent widow. And I, I, she was saying, this is just so hard. And i got to tell you, I can't, I can't say, oh, I know. I, can't, I don't say I know because I don't. My wife's still alive. But should that time come, and I know others who are in that situation, you're the very ones to comfort. Put arms around those people. That's what. That's exactly what Paul said in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse four. 2 Corinthians one four. He says, and God comforts us with the comfort that we're able to comfort others with, also. As we receive comfort from God, we're able to help others with that same kind of comfort. So sometimes we pray for relief from the difficulties in our lives. And I think if God were to articulate it, he would say, No, no, I'm not giving you relief because I need you to know what that's like. Because i got people you need to minister to. You got a ministry like that? You need to share it with others. And and then I need accountability. That is a willingness to be checked out by others. Ephesians 5.21, be submissive or subject to one another in Christ. I need to know you care about me and I'm willing to listen to you. I'm willing to hear what you have to say. If we're not going to listen to God as he speaks through others, we might as well go it alone. And finally, here's our goal. Our goal, I love this passage. I want you to listen to this. It's Romans chapter 15 and verse 14. This is a a beautiful statement. This is the goal of all we're doing in this preparation to help other people. Concerning you, my brethren, here's a goal. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. That's what we want to do. We want to make sure every person in the body of Christ of which we're a part is full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to minister to others. So there are some tools for sharing spiritual life that God gives us. I was driving through Chattanooga, Tennessee, and on a a board, a message board, out out in front of a building, church building, I saw this statement. Exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. Exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. And you might say, must have been a Pentecostal group. No, it wasn't. It wasn't evangelical. It actually was outside the North Terrace Church of Christ, a church I have preached for in various occasions. I believe. That is an appropriate statement to make to God's people today. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 are showing how the disciples of the first century met each other's needs. And I think most of us recognize that's a demonstration of God's powers that isn't available to us today. But you would be wrong if you limit spiritual gifts. To the first century manifestation, there are some of those gifts are no longer available, but there are spiritual gifts given to disciples today to minister to the family of God. Join me in First Peter chapter four and verse ten. First Peter chapter four and verse 10. The New American Standard renders that verse and the next verse this way. "Who It says, "...as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God." And now here are the gifts. Whoever speaks is to do so, as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's for all of us. Those aren't miraculous gifts. Those are the manifestations of the spirit and heart of God as put in disciples today as we apply the truths of Scripture in our lives. There are spiritual gifts, and I want to offer for you five principles about sharing spiritual gifts with other people as we begin talking about what some of those are and how they look. First of all, principle number one, every member of the body has a function. Every member of my body, every part of my body has a function. And and sometimes you're not even aware of what those are until something comes up in your life and then you realize it. I had a a good friend who was a preacher of the gospel in Birmingham, Alabama, and he contracted cancer. He was undergoing cancer treatments, which caused all of his hair to fall out. And I had lunch with him one day when I was visiting in the area, and he he said, Ralph, have you ever thought about how important, listen, have you ever thought about how important your eyebrows are? I said, no, Richard, I, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, my eyebrows, for the most part, are just a nuisance, you know? The eyebrows get long, and then they hang down in front of your face, and you try to find the one that's there, and you pull out 30 before you get the one that's in front of your eye. Or they just look real bushy, which distracts everybody that's looking at you. They go, what in the world is on his forehead? I said, tell me what you mean by that. And he said, well, I was mowing the lawn the other day. And he said, as I was mowing and it was hot, and he said, all of a sudden my eyes started stinging terribly. I mean, they were really burning. And I thought, what in the world is going on? I was rubbing my eyes and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I don't have eyebrows to catch the sweat anymore. I don't have eyebrows to catch the sweat anymore. Every member of the body of Christ in this congregation or wherever you are in your home congregations has a function in serving the body. And I'm going to say this, if you don't if you don't you're just a wart or a growth that needs removing. You have a function. Romans chapter 12. I love the passage in 1 Peter because it ties in with what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Listen to this. I'm beginning in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. Now, listen to the wording. Since we have what? Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Not talents, not talents, not things we're born with, not things we learned in school. Or learn from somebody else, but gifts that are given by grace, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now he does begin with one of those that I don't think is available anymore. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. But look at the second one. If service in his serving Or he who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. These are gifts. These are not just abilities or talents. They are gifts given according to the grace of God. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Not everybody has those. Not everybody was called to lead. Not everybody's called to teach. Not everybody is called to serve. Some people are better servants than others. There are some people, they're they're just made to serve people. That's what they love doing. They, They live to be able to help somebody else. There are some people who are just merciful. They're just gifted with mercy. My mom was one of those people. My mother was, and maybe all mothers are, but I can remember coming in, I'd have a splinter in my finger, you know, and I, I couldn't get it out, and I'd come in, I'd go, Mom, Mom, I got a splinter. And here's what my mother would do. The first thing she would do is suck air through her teeth. She'd go And she'd wince, you know, like, oh. And she'd look, and she'd go, oh, I know that hurts. Then I go, oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it really hurts. We're going to have to get it out. We're gonna have to get, I'm going to have to get the tweezers. I know it's going to hurt, but we're going to get it out. I, Please do hurry. You know, I, That sympathy was wonderful. My dad was a wonderful man. He had no, no sense of mercy like that. None. I could come in after a bad bicycle accident, carrying my left arm in my right arm, and say to him, Hey, dad, dad, I think I've done something really bad. He goes, Son, go outside. You're bleeding all over the carpet. <laughs> My dad didn't have that gift. But now, now think about this. So who do you go to when you're hurting? You go to Mom. You go to people that are merciful. Not everybody's merciful. Now, I'm going I'm to give you an example. It's, and it may, it may hurt some of your feelings. I hope it doesn't, but it may. When we were in Concord, North Carolina, we had a group of men that had it in their minds that their job was to stand in two lines facing each other in the foyer, and anybody coming in the building had to walk through the gauntlet. And they didn't smile. So they just stood there, and people had come in between them like, is it safe? and go down between those men, and the men, they they weren't real friendly, and nobody could move them, and that was what they thought their job was, and if you spoke to them, it was just morning, morning, it was that kind of thing, so we had a lady in the congregation, she said, Ralph, I am so tired of those men, They're, they're scaring people off, the kids don't even like coming in the foyer, and they know who they are. She said, we need somebody out there who's friendly, who greets people. And I said, Nancy, go, just go do it. I, I didn't want to hear it. Just go do it. And she said, well, I will. And the next Sunday, she was standing there on the other side of those men, between them and the door, and people walked in the door, and she said, hi, I'm Nancy, I'm so glad you're here. And she'd hand them a bulletin, she'd talk to them. She didn't say, you're getting ready to go through the gauntlet, hang on. but she, they, they were able to get through that and come in the building. And you know what? People would comment about that lady. They would say to me, that lady, whoever she is out there, she is the friendliest person. I love it. She's the first person that I saw coming in here. And I loved her friendliness. Not everybody can do that. But the ones who can should. And, and when you're in this building... And people come in. If you have that gift of friendliness and warmth and mercy, don't look at them like they invaded your neighborhood. Look at them like they're welcome gifts coming into your realm of influence. Don't just look at them, how are you? Or act like we do sometimes in elevator areas. You know, people show up and go, hi, welcome to the area. You know, don't do that. Go talk to them. Not everybody has every gift. Not everybody has a gift of giving. Some people just, they're wonderful givers. All of us ought to give, but some people have a gift for that. Some people are teachers. Some people are leaders. These are gifts of God. Every member has a function, and we serve the body, not vice versa. The body doesn't serve my index finger my index finger serves the body it points out things it scratches when i have an itch and it can reach it it grabs things and helps hold on to them it holds on to pencils that index finger doesn't say so what are y'all doing for me it is doing for the body and we all need to be members of the body of christ doing for the body. Because when the body grows strong, I grow strong. That's the way it works. So I'm keying on body growth, not self-growth. It's not about me. It's about the body. And so, in this matter, koinonia is primarily a responsibility, not a social privilege. This... Mixing and mingling and caring for one another. It's not just a social privilege for us. If I want koinonia, I must serve the body. Principle number two. The purpose of all spiritual gifts is to serve others and or glorify God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, that passage that we were looking at, Earlier, it says, as each one has received a special gift. Our gifts are given by God. We're not owners. We're stewards. They belong to God, not to us. So now do you see how seeking fame or recognition or reward for exercising our gifts is wrong? Whatever that gift is. And and there are some gifts that are bigger than others. Some are more recognized. First Corinthians chapter 12, that we read the other night in verse 18, says this. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. There are many members, but one body. And it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. They're necessary. Things that we don't normally say they're really valuable. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I get a lot of com- comments from people about my hair. Most of the time it's, how old are you? But we, we all, most of us, we put a lot of time and effort in our hair. We uh, get it cut all the time. We wash it all the time. Some of us color it. We put all kinds of product in it. If it's frizzy, we try to tame it. If it's thin, we try to thicken it. We do all that with our hair. And our hair really isn't a major part of our bodies. I, I don't know anybody that, as ever losing it, saying, I'm dying, I'm dying. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I've got, I've got another part of my body nobody has ever complimented me on. Nobody has ever said, Ralph, you've got a great liver. But it's an appropriately named organ, I can't live without it. I, I can't do without it. But I'll tell you, my liver doesn't get all upset about that. Wouldn't that be awful? If my liver said, I'm tired of hearing about the hair or the eyes or the muscles. I'm tired of hearing about the voice. I'm shutting down. I'm done. No liver ever did that. But trust me, I got a great liver. I need to say that to remind it every once in a while. Keep working there, buddy. I need you. The parts of our bodies sometimes that don't get as much recognition, because there are some of us that get a lot of recognition, people that are public. We preachers get a lot of recognition for what we do. Bible class teachers do. Elders do. But i got to tell you, if you're not praying for the other people in your congregation the people that keep the building clean, the people that take care of those small children, listen, the teachers in the bucket class, you know, that's the class with the table and the chairs where they can't get loose. The teachers in the bucket class, pray for them. Otherwise, you'll have those kids for another full hour every service. And that's not bad for you, but those kids won't live long. There are all kinds of people who do little things all the time that need to be recognized for what they are in the body of Christ. All of us need to glorify God. All the gifts are for the body. Principle three, every gift is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 verse 7 says for to one uh, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good all of us every member of my body has a function and the ability to carry it out and to say you have no fitting gift is to say you have no function in the body don't say that don't say you have no gift you have nothing to offer the body of Christ. You're a member of the body. And if you don't have a function, you may be taken out of the body altogether. Be careful. Principle four. All gifts must be exercised and developed. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, here's what the Apostle Paul said to this young preacher. "...do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery." And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, again he says, "...I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you." In Matthew chapter 25, the same thing's talked about in terms of the talents. Different people are given different skills, different talents, different abilities. For what purpose? To use them to the glory of God, not to bury them. Not to bury them. So if we're going to be people who have... The gifts of God, don't we need to use them so we can function at our best? Last principle, and then one more slide following that, and we're done. There are greater gifts which should motivate all of us. All of us. Whether you have one gift, ten gifts, there are greater gifts that ought to be true of all of us, and you know where we're going. First Corinthians chapter 13. So let me, let me illustrate it this way very quickly if I have a zero and I add a zero, what do I have? Still zero. What if I put 10 zeros? What do I have? Still got zero. Okay, let's get 100 zeros. What do I have? Zero. I take the 100 zeros and put a one in front of it. The zeros mean something now, don't they? They didn't mean anything before. And that's exactly what Paul says. If I speak with the tongues of angels, if I have knowledge of all things, but I don't have love, what am I? Neither. Zip, zilch, zero. I'm nothing, nothing if I don't have love. But take the gifts, whether you have one, or you have ten, or you have a hundred gifts. I've never met that person. Now put love in front of it, and what do you have? Wow, it explodes. That's what God wants. Love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above. And he's an heir of heaven who finds his bosom glow with love. Well, I hope you've been kind of jumping ahead of me on this lesson because I want to give you this and we're done. So how do you find your spiritual gifts? So you're saying, I hope, by now. Okay, Ralph, I'll buy it. God's given me spiritual gifts. I don't even know what they are. How do I find my spiritual gifts? How do I know what I ought to be doing or ought not to be doing? In exercising my gifts God has given me. I'm convinced. I'm a member of the body. God gave me a function. How do I find out what it is? And I want to give you just three ideas. Number one, look to God for guidance. Talk to Him about it. Ask Him, Lord, show me my gifts. Tell me what I'm good at. Tell me what I need to be functioning as in the body of Christ. There was a lady who came to a preacher, Billy Sunday, one time, and she said to him, she says, I heard your sermon on the talents. She said, I have one talent, but it's a really good one. She said, I have the gift of criticism. I I can see things that are wrong and point them out. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, sister. I think if I were you, And I had the gift of criticism. I think I'd do like that one-talent man and go bury it. Ask God what your gifts are. Start there. I'm not saying he's going to talk to you and say, it's service, service. It's not teaching. Don't do that. But I do think God can reveal that to us in various ways. And the second way is, look to your successes and failures in various undertakings. What have you been successful at? When you do something, what do people say? If, if you say, well, I, I think it's baking cakes for people and taking it to them. I think that's it. But nobody ever asks for the recipe and nobody ever says, bring me another one. That's my, maybe not your gift. Maybe that's not it. But what do people tell you? What do they say? What do they say you're good at? And what have you tried and it just didn't go well? I remember, I remember Ed Harrell one time in a conversation saying, he says, I'm not good at going to the hospital. I'm I'm not good at that. He says, "I, I go to the hospital and I go up to the bed and I say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And he said, well, my heart's having problems and I'm ha- they're, they're trying to get that under control. I got really high blood pressure and they told me I got diabetes. He says, I, I, I just kind of blurred out, well, you could die. <laughs> That's probably not the best thing to do. Don't bring that man to my hospital bed. What are you good at? And, and then the third thing like that, listen to other Christians. What do they praise you for? What do they tell you you're good at in your life? What do they say? You should do more of this. And it might be, you know, you have a good voice. You should lead singing. Or it may be, those are really good comments you're making in class. You should teach. Or you just have such a warm, friendly demeanor about you. You should be a greeter. There are all kinds of things that we can do in the body of Christ. Everybody has a function. Find your functions. And fulfill those duties to others. That's the sharing of spiritual gifts with other people. It's important that you do that. So you can't share spiritual gifts if you're not in the body. Get in the body. Become a member of the body of Christ function fully the way God wants you to. If you have a need this evening, if if you want prayers tonight, why don't you come while we stand and sing this song?